We all know that feeling. You get it when you're by yourself at night. And everything is quiet and still. And although you know you're alone, you feel as though someone is behind you, watching you, waiting for you. It's irrational, but it's the same irrational fear that makes us keep our feet under the covers in the summertime so the witches and the demons don't snatch us from our beds. Why we run to the trash can when it's dark out, just in case someone or something is lurking in the shadows. It's why we make sure that shower curtain stays open so no one can hide behind it. Because... Even though we know we're alone, sometimes that space doesn't feel very empty. This is The West London Witch, a podcast where we share stories about those moments where we find ourselves very much not alone. Welcome to the very first inaugural episode of The West London Witch. My name is Becca, and although I was born in England and currently live in London, I was raised and spent most of my life in Southern California. I have always been fascinated and captivated by all things weird, wonderful, otherworldly, and most of all, unexplained. Recently, my mom asked me why I have such a spooky little soul. And I genuinely believe that it all stems from the fact that when I was three years old, my parents unknowingly moved us into a haunted house. I'm Rebecca Strazina, and this is The West London Witch. Episode one, you know this house is haunted. When we moved to California, we were living in Huntington Beach and we ended up moving up to Bakersfield and Mark had managed to get a job up up here. Plus, we knew it was going to be a little bit cheaper and more affordable to live. This is my mom, Karen. She still lives in Bakersfield, where this story takes place. The house that we saw was an old craftsman-style home. It was in downtown Bakersfield, built probably about 1900. My mom and dad were looking for just the right house for the three of us, plus our little toy poodle, Busta. I mean, it was, it was a really nice house. It was an older property. Um, it had all like dark wood paneling and stuff. It had a really nice garden with a bunch of persimmon trees in the back. Um, so it was, it was all fenced in, so it was perfect for you. Um, perfect for Buster, he couldn't get out. So it was, it was the ideal um, house. That's my dad, Mark. 
Him and my mom divorced when I was five, and he now lives in Portland, Oregon. Absolutely quintessential American craftsman house. It had the white steps leading up to a, a porch with a big craftsman door. It was what you'd imagine an all-American craftsman house to be. It was super cute um, and had two huge, large palm trees in the front garden that were absolutely beautifully manicured. They'd obviously been there for a long time. When you were in the house, it was really cool compared with outside. And it had mahogany um, wood halfway up the wall, all the way around the uh, living room. A huge big fireplace. And um, between the living room and the dining area, there was kind of the hatch where they had two large mahogany um, framed pillars separating the living room and the dining room. The house was set up in the shape of a square. So once you had been through the living room and the dining room, you entered into the kitchen. The kitchen was at the very back of the house, and the kitchen sink was set before a window that overlooked the backyard. I'd be in the kitchen, and the kitchen was pleasant. It overlooked the back garden. I'd be in the kitchen, and I'd keep turning my head behind me, always, like someone was behind me, um, like someone was watching me. It was the weirdest thing. And I didn't mean to do it. And I get like, why do I keep turning around? But I did it constantly. Often I felt like someone was watching me when I was washing up. Just you got a feeling of someone stood behind you. You know, I turned around thinking it was your mum there or something or, or you. And there was no one there. From the kitchen, if you turned right, there was a back bedroom, which my parents called the playroom. This was linked by a little corridor to the middle bedroom, my bedroom, a family bathroom, and then my parents' room at the very front of the house. And then the big thing really was with Buster. He would not go in your room. I mean, he loved you. I mean, you, you learned to walk by grabbing hold of him and pulling yourself up and walking along next to him. And so you two were inseparable, but he wouldn't go in your bedroom. And if, say for instance, I was in our bedroom and your mom was in the playroom um, and Buster was with her, if I called him, he wouldn't, I mean, obviously the quickest route was, you know, 20 foot along the corridor. He wouldn't go that way. He'd come through the kitchen, through the dining room and the lounge, and then into the bedroom that way. He wouldn't go along that little bit of corridor there. The corridor wasn't the only space that Busta was acting strangely in. As soon as we moved into the house, he started acting very erratically and very unlike himself. Being a toy poodle, he did have seizures occasionally. But in the four months we lived in that home, he was seizing all the time. One time, he had a massive 13 long minute seizure in the dining room. And as soon as we moved out of the house, the seizure stopped. Instantly, from the moment we moved in, our problems seemed to start happening. We seemed to be always unhappy. It seemed to be a really oppressive feeling and environment in the house. Definitely not welcoming. Definitely not happy. It was always, always totally 
like something heavy hanging over you. Again, we were new to Bakersfield, so maybe the stress of being new in a new town could be put partly for that. It was stressful in our relationship, but maybe that's due to the fact we're new in a town with no money and it just seemed like nothing was getting better in that house. It was kind of eerie when you were in there on your own. And as I say, I'm not scared of old houses. In fact, I would prefer an old house. But it definitely had an eerie feeling. Like every time you walked in, you felt the heaviness and the sadness of the house. It was particularly unpleasant. I'd start getting a little scared when I was there on my own, especially going into the bedroom. And Rebecca's bedroom was definitely the worst. Every night we'd put Rebecca to bed and she always would say how scared she was, how frightened she was, how she didn't want to sleep in her bedroom, how she didn't like it. Well, you, from day one, pretty much, you, you were just, you were probably, what, three at the time, I'm guessing, two or three at the time, um, and you were just in a training bed. You'd moved out of, out of the cot, um, and we kept you in that for quite a while because my dad made it, so sentimental value, we kept you in the cot probably longer than we should, but then you'd want, you want a proper bed, so we bought you on these little, it was like, I remember it was a red-framed, um, you know, they're called training bed. Um, so we put you in the, in the middle room there, and from day one, you kept telling us there was a witch in the cupboard, and she kept pushing you out of bed. And three or four times, we'd hear this stomp in the night and come out, and you were laying on the floor. Come on, go to sleep. You'll be fine. Don't worry. Everything's okay. But she became obsessed with not going to sleep in the room. I don't want to sleep in there. I don't like it. There's people in here. It's always scary. Well, after a while, I too started feeling every time I went in the room that there was people watching me, that it wasn't a good environment. It wasn't it wasn't happy and she wasn't happy. Then it started that every night we'd have to open the closet and she would say, they're in the closet, they're in the closet, the bad things are in the closet. I was at first thought, there's nothing here, that's silly. And I'd actually make a game of it. I open the closet and say, I'm taking out Captain Hook. I'm taking out all the pirates and just making a joke of it and then saying, oh, everyone's out. It's all good. I'd shut the closet. But it didn't feel that good. And I don't know why. I was starting to get a little spooked by it too. A home is supposed to be a happy place. A sanctuary where you feel safe and secure and you create happy memories. But this house was quite the opposite. It was having a serious toll on my parents' marriage as my mom became ever more increasingly afraid of the home. I wasn't sleeping and things were rapidly starting to disintegrate. So after four months, my parents decided it was time to move. They were not going to find their American dream in this home. My ex-husband's kind of a salesman type guy. He doesn't get freaked out particularly. And he certainly isn't one to 
makeup stories or sea ghosts. He's not that guy. And then the, the day that we moved out um, was the, the one that really shook me um, because we we got everything out of the house. It was Christmas Eve. Um, we bought we bought a house and typical of me and your mum, we did the you know, sensible things. We moved on Christmas Eve. So we got everything out of the house, um, moved everything to the, to the new place, which is only you know, five, ten minutes down the road. Um, and I was just finishing up the last things, um, just cleaning out the kitchen and stuff, um, before I went out to try and find a Christmas tree at like three o'clock on Christmas Eve. Um, but I was cleaning up, the, cleaning up the sink and just cleaning out the last few bits in the kitchen. I really felt someone watching me. And uh, I, uh, so I turned around and there was someone in the doorway like a shape of someone, just a, a white sort of image in the in the doorway between the kitchen and the, the dining room. And I just threw the keys on the table, ran out the back door. I think I leapt over the back fence, got in the car and left and didn't go back. When he got to the apartment, he was whiter than a sheet. He was shaking and he recalled the story to me. When he came in, Honestly, he was like someone dead. I've never seen someone so scared in my life, ever. He had, and he had to drive. He had to drive from that house to the new one. And he looked like someone who's absolutely terrified. Definitely pleased we left that house. What was interesting is after the whole incident, we had left, um... My Christmas presents my brother had sent to the wrong home. He had sent them to that house. So I decided to go around there and knock the door. So I knocked the door and this lady answers, who was super lovely. And I explained the situation. She said, actually, she'd sent the presents back, but they had come. She did not know when we had gone or who, had, who they were for. I could almost see the house looked amazing inside. The floorboards looked like they'd been refinished. I could see through into the kitchen. Everything looked amazing. And she said, would you like to come in? I've done a major renovation to this house. Well, of course I wanted to go in. It was absolutely beautiful. She had tastefully and beautifully restored the wood the floors, the kitchen. She had put black and white uh, marble tile down on the floor. Kind of very Victorian, absolutely beautiful job she had done. And we sat down, we had a cup of coffee and we started chatting. Of course, I didn't want to say anything about the house. That's not something you say to someone who's very happy in their brand new home that they bought and renovated. But, oh, the house just did not feel right for me. So I'm sat there and we're chatting about the renovations. And she then said to me, and this is what is the weirdest thing of all. She said, you know, this house is haunted. I didn't know what to say. What, well, I'm going to say, yes, I believe it is haunted too. But she brought the subject up. So I said, well, it was a very difficult and it wasn't a very happy house for us. 
should all know it's haunted. The spirits who live here really like us. The worst room initially for us was my son, who's probably about a year older than Rebecca, my son's bedroom. He was so terrified in that bedroom. But I think whoever was here or is here really likes us. I was absolutely shocked and then I told her that was the worst room for us. Although by the end of it, the whole house was really heavy, miserable, cold. And she agreed. She said, absolutely, this house is completely haunted, but the spirits really like us. So what happened to the house? Well, it turns out that being from a small town has some very big advantages. When I was just a teenager, I was doing a play at a local theater, and all the kids were down in the basement telling ghost stories. And somehow this story got brought up. And at the end of the story, one of the kids sitting in the circle looked up at me, absolutely horror-stricken. And he said to me, I'm the little boy who slept in the bedroom after you. And he was. His mom was the woman who bought the house and who had sat there with my mom on her sofa all those years ago and told her, you know, this house is haunted. At the time, the boy told me that although the spirit seemed benign to his parents, he was very fearful in the home and especially that middle bedroom. He said that things would go missing and then reappear in obscure places, a phenomenon that my parents didn't encounter. He also described feeling as though he was being watched and he didn't like the closet in his bedroom. I remember him telling me that the room felt full, full of eyes watching him and people close to him, a sentiment that my parents knew all too well. When I decided to share this story, I knew I was going to have to find that woman who bought the house. So, after taking to Facebook and doing some light stalking, I was able to make contact with her, and she was just as warm and as open as my mom remembered. After years of living in the house, she ended up moving her family to a new home and using the house as her office. And the ghosts were not a problem for her, her business flourished and thrived while in that space. However, one of her employees who used the back bedroom as their office often complained that she was terrified in that room and that things would go flying across the room as though someone was throwing it, but there was no one there. She no longer lives in that house, but she still owns it, and her son and her daughter-in-law and their children live there. And she says, they're really happy in the house, which is fantastic news. There is a school of thought that suggests that change can really be a good thing. Doing construction on a house could upset spirits, or it could make them really happy. Even just changing the furniture around can help neutralize the space. But you have to ask yourself the question, just because someone else is happy living there. Would you move back in? No, never, never. 
Absolutely never. Oh yeah, in a heartbeat. Would you really? Yeah. Mom was in yeah. panic. She said no. Oh, I would. I, I want to go and see what's what's going on there. And I don't know. I think I'd be scared that if I came back, the spirits would recognize me. Like we'd walk through the door and they'd be like, they're here. I wear glasses and a fake moustache. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they won't recognize me. I put on a lot of weight since then. Now I can't be the same guy. That guy was skinny that was here before. <laughs> The thing that always gets me with this story is, at the end of the day, it's a mystery. We know very little about the house itself. Construction broke ground in 1899, but the house wasn't completed until 1910. 11 years is a really long time to build a house. Perhaps there was a tragedy that slowed down construction. Or maybe it's something more mundane, like the money ran out. I can't find any records of deaths occurring in the house, but Bakersfield was once all farmland, and this portion of the San Joaquin Valley used to be home to the Yokuts and other Native American tribes. So perhaps it's something beneath the house, or something that's connected to the land. Maybe something happened in a structure that stood there prior to the home that exists there today. It would be so nice to say, oh, well, this happened because, or that must be so-and-so. But we don't have that in this case. But something we do have is validation. It wasn't just us that felt something in that home. We weren't the only ones to feel as though we shared that space with someone unseen. And that, truly is fascinating. Do you have a spooky story you'd like to share? I'd love to hear it. Drop me an email at thewestlondonwitch at gmail.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook at The West London Witch. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And come follow us for additional content on Instagram and Facebook. Until next time, Mary meet, Mary part, and Mary meet again. The West London Witch is created by me, Rebecca Strazina. Our sound designer and production magician is the incredible Danny Cross. Our theme music was bespokely written and performed by the wickedly talented Kyle Hall. Our cover art is the beautiful collaboration between Lizzie Wilson and Jake Bowser. Special thanks to Miss Sinead Bowers, our quality control and biggest cheerleader. And thank you to you, all of our listeners all over the world. These are your stories. Thank you for sharing them with us.